1: As you gear up for the biggest game in the season, Podcast One Sportsnet is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. Tune in to the Underdog Sports NFL show to analyze the best plays of the postseason or the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour to create the perfect lineup before the best teams in the league duke it out in Atlanta on February 3rd. Check out all the wonderful shows on the Underdog Network every week on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I believe this is the first really mostly team-specific episode I've done during this season, but I wanted to talk with Adam Maris of Denver Stiffs, On Nuggets, and then he also has done some great work in his past for now on Calculus about this Denver team. I found it so fascinating. We get into some of the angles early on, so I don't need to necessarily spoil why I think the Denver Nuggets are so interesting and where it's going. So we talked mostly about that, but then a little bit towards the end about, the rest of the NBA, and some of what he's tracking, the Warriors, the Lakers, and a few other things. So I think there's a lot to get out of it and getting into why what they're doing right now is compelling and the decisions that front office needs to make in the off season, and the young guys that they have and everything else. So really did enjoy it. Episode is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag use that big game promo code they're doing an awesome contest right now and then TrueCar great place to buy a newer used car or sell the car you already have or trade it in. Episode runs a little bit over an hour really happy with it. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here.
1: I wanted to talk about the Nuggets because I find them a really fascinating story around the league. And obviously, you know, I, I come at it from a different perspective than you based somewhat on geographic proximity and everything like that. But Denver having an immensely successful year, thirty one and fourteen, but this isn't one of those circumstances like a team just everything goes right for them at the beginning of the season, they go on this really hot run right. and you're just kind of waiting for the bottom of it to drop out. They've they've already gone through a lot of that and made it made it through pretty cleanly.
0: Yeah, they have. Um, This is not by any means a a lucky season for them. If you look at just rattling off the things that have gone wrong for them, Will Barton, who was the starting small forward and a player I was very excited to add to the starting lineup this year, I thought he made Denver – um offensively just extremely dynamic he goes down in the second game of the season Gary Harris has missed some 14 15 you actually don't know what the total number is but it's it, it's in the double digits now uh Paul Millsap missed a lot of time so and this, and this is all at the same time it's not one guy came in one guy was out there they went a long stretch with three starters out of the lineup and continued to win and then um you know, Gary Harris, when he was healthy, wasn't shooting the ball well. Jamal Murray has caught fire late lately, but he was shooting his career worst um, through the first two and a half months of the season. Jokic is down from his three point shot. So um, some things have certainly gone well for Denver, but there's a lot of things that have gone poorly. And the fact that they're 31 and 14, I think, is extremely encouraging for their regular season outlook.
1: Right. So I, I got the number for Gary Harris. He's already missed 18 games, so he's getting cle- – oh, he'll wow. miss 20 by the – by the you know, even with just scheduled rest or whatever, and you right. never know if anything's going to come from that. That's really impressive because also – I've been I've been impressed that Denver has been able to withstand this with a lot of players that I thought were harder for them to replace now that is in no way to sh- say that Gary Harris is or, or you know Will Barton is a better player than some right. of the other guys on this team but there isn't necessarily a reasonable facsimile for Will Barton in particular I mean I, Wancho has done a better job than I anticipated Malik Beasley has done a better job than I anticipated Torrey Craig has stepped in of course as well I mean Torrey Craig has started an outright majority of the Nuggets <laughs> game so far this season. But
0: it's so wild.
1: Th- I think that's that's another element of this from a degree of difficulty standpoint. And and something that I think people should take seriously about this team is that they've been Working through problems that have seriously hurt other teams. Like think about, they're in a different conference, a much worse conference. But like Charlotte has been really affected by Cody Zeller missing an extended period of time now. Right. Cody yep. Zeller is a valuable player based on, and it's funny because positional scarcity. Even though he plays center, you know, it's just that they don't have centers, and you know, they're right. using they're using. Biombo and William and Gomez and Denver has dealt with all of these things and I mean you think back to Oklahoma City people talking about Robertson of course they're missing Andre Robertson I mean we're not saying they're not but they're still a really good defense they have a lot of other guys that do similar things just not as well Denver's situation is different from that
0: yeah, I think the one guy you look at that they probably couldn't lose for a long stretch is, is Nikola Jokic. And thankfully, you know, he's been active for, for all of the games. So, um, all the other guys in, in part, there, this is twofold. One, I really do think that, and, and I'm, uh, full disclosure, everybody knows I'm the biggest believer in Nikola Jokic. I've kind of, push the narrative for him just being this this better player than I think people realize, although people are starting to realize it now. He really does make everyone better. And so when you lose a Gary Harris and a Paul Millsap and a Will Barton, you sl- I don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden um, guys like Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez and Torrey Craig are playing what would be perceived to be above their heads. But I just think it's when you get to play alongside him, he sets the table so nicely that NBA caliber players are, are able to finish easy shots. I mean wide open looks, cut off of him, play off of him and things like that. He just makes the game easier for, for people. So he's the one guy that I think you know Denver probably couldn't afford to lose. But now the exciting part is, is – in the, they lost Will Barton right away, so we really haven't seen them at all with him. But when they had Gary Harris and Paul Millsap in the lineup, the Nuggets were really deep, and they were beating teams with their bench. They they were playing a little bit as a positive with their starters, but they were really burying teams with their bench. And now it. it over the last month or so, they haven't had that depth and it hasn't been that way. So, one of the things I'm curious about now is the starters come back. Can they get to that level we expect? And then what happens when a Mason Plumley checks in, who's a starting caliber center, Monte Morris, who has the second best assist to turnover ratio? Um, you know, what happens when those guys, Malik Beasley, who's shooting 42% from the three point line, what happens when those guys go against other teams of second unit? I think that's going to be a real strength for Denver in the back half of the year.
1: It really could be. And also getting more depth kind of half let's call it halfway through the season though it's not rigidly there it allows maybe some of those guys to push a little harder in the minutes they play if they play fewer yeah. and that could really help as well you know getting that intensity right and I mean somebody like Mason Plumley was having to work really hard filling a couple of different roles while Millsap was out and now he can go back into a more manageable spot which benefits the second unit but it also benefits him personally I would think.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That's a huge thing about it. And, and the Nuggets, so one of the storylines for them is that their defense had fallen off over the last, really, two months. It's been an extended period here, but it might just be that this team was running hot defensively in the first six weeks of the season. But I think a lot of it is just what you mentioned. A lot was being asked of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. A lot was being asked of guys who, like Juancho Hernan Gomez, who had never played that high volume 25 plus minutes um, for extended periods of time. And I think what happened is those guys just ran out of steam and especially Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic had to pick their spots so now that there's so much more talent on the roster and they can maybe cut off two three minutes I think you'll see a more balanced offense defensive effort from those guys so certainly the depth for the Nuggets I think will aid them not just in because they'll be so talented with their second unit but also as you mentioned the workload for the first unit.
1: So you brought up the the hot start that the team had defensively, and that has, has cooled off to an extent. I mean, a lot of that is also just the personnel and everything else that, that went through it. But so I think they were, let's say, somewhere like sixth or seventh through the first month of the season. And now for the overall yeah. season, they're close to league average, 13th in the league, 109-2, which is also a statement of how amazing offense is getting in the NBA right now. <laughs> so – what is your feeling? Because this is always—I mean, the last couple of years, once we once Mike Malone put Jokic in the in the starting lineup by himself, really made this and and made him the hub for a lot of their offense. We haven't really doubted that Denver was going to put it together on that end. Incidentally, it took a little bit of time for that to happen offensively this year. But the question has always been they will go as far, at least in the regular season, as their defense will take them. Where, where are you feeling like this is going for them? Is, is it more maybe in the range? You know, like Maybe you say what they did at the beginning of the year was 100% legit. Or is it maybe somewhere between that, let's say, 6th
0: and 13th in the league area? <laughs> I think it's definitely somewhere in the middle, but probably closer to the, to, I, I, NBA.com has them 11th, so I'll go off of 11th. I, I think they're probably closer to that than they are to like a top eight defense. Um, they're probably where they belong. A couple things happened at the beginning of the year. First, obviously, Paul Millsap, he, he, losing him, he is the, the, by far the most impactful defensive player they had. So number one thing was him missing all the games that he did. The defense really fell off a cliff. Number two, in in the start of the season, um, teams were just shooting really poorly from Denver. And I I, I did a podcast about this on Locked on Nuggets, where everybody was crediting Denver's three-point defense. They had the best opponent three-point percentage. And I said, look, a lot of this is they're giving up wide-open looks in the corners and above the break and and catch-and-shoot type looks, and teams just aren't knocking them down that's bound to regress. So I think think that started to happen but a couple of the things are things that they can control i mean the core of this team uh, of this team's roster is 23 and under so you talk about the difference between being 21 and 22 that's a big difference in the nba or 20 and 21 so just the the experience of guys like Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley and Nikola Jokic that that goes a long way and then lastly they did tweak their defensive scheme especially with how they use Nikola Jokic attacking pick and rolls. And I, this is something I'd actually called for for two years. Jokic is slow-footed, and they played him like a drop big, kind of like Roy Hibbert back in those um, those Pacers teams, where they would just have him sink real deep in the paint and kind of just stand there because they were worried he was going to get beat if they extended him at the three-point line. Well, what happened was teams shot lights out from the mid-range because there was nobody to contest him. And they also got to the rim a lot because he's just not an intimidating player inside there. Guys don't not go to the rim because they see Jokic inside. By bringing him up top and playing him more along the level of the screen and pick and roll, he's been able to use his brain, his quick hands and just sort of his anticipation which is, those are his best skills sort of his great hands, both offensively and defensively, and his ability to kind of read the court quicker than his opponent and because of that, he still gets beat sometimes around the corner by quicker guards, like Kemba Walker's and and, and guys of, of that speed but he does a much better job of sort of suckering guys into to bad decisions and, and, and disrupting the pick and roll than he was doing before. So some of it luck, some of it scheme, um, but I think Denver probably has the ability to be a top 15 defense.
1: Yeah, and if they're top fifteen or top ten, then at least from the regular season perspective, which is which is a worthwhile one, then this is one of the better teams in the Western Conference. I mean, there really aren't that many top ten in top ten teams in both elements. So right now, as right. we're going through this. There are only three, actually. The Warriors might end up there just depending on how the rest of the season goes. But if they can get even close to that, I mean, you're talking about teams like, you know, Toronto and Boston and Milwaukee and probably the Warriors at some point. And I I always thought that Denver could be better than they were last year and over the last couple. Of, Millsap is a big part of that. He, He has been as well this year. But I think with the point that you got to in terms of both age and scheme are both important here, I mean, it takes a little while for a coaching staff to do two different elements of this. So one is figuring out what their guys do well, and then the second is adjusting what they, kind of their idea of what a good defense is to tailor it to their specific personnel. Like. coaches have their schemes they have their approaches on everything and a lot of times they will go with that until it doesn't work or until they just realize oh my god we have to do something better and the best coaches can can move more quickly but almost everybody has a starting position they have a mentality and you know malone previously had coached in in sacramento with demarcus and that he has his own challenges and so I, I think that that was one of the other important things that happened this year. Was we ha- okay? Nicole Jokic is a different a different type of center. We have these other surrounding pieces. What makes the most sense for this group of guys, especially since it looks like they might have this group for another couple of years?
0: There's actually a lot of really interesting threads to pull on that. And and the first one I'm going to say, it, Michael Malone has done such a fantastic job this year. Uh, one of the things I've learned from following this team now, Jokic is such a different player. There's no there's no other player like him currently in the NBA and there really isn't even historically when you just talk about the things he's good at and the things he's weak at Um, and I think it took Michael Malone maybe a little bit longer than um, some fans and even myself at times wanted for him to kind of realize Jokic doesn't need help on offense just let him run the offense make it free-flowing you don't have to dump the ball into the post just just give him free reign and trust that he'll do he'll make the right decision and I think sometime around January of last year that was fully ingrained in Michael Malone that you know what the more I do to tinker with the offense the worse they get just trust them to do what they do and, and they'll be fine and then defensively this was the first year I think that he really sort of said okay he's weak at these things but rather than just try to say we're going to adjust and force him to be something that he's not let's see if we can make something um, work that takes advantage of his good the good skill set he has defensively and cover him for him on the back end and what I think is interesting about that is both. Both approaches are right. You have to force, especially young players, to be what they need to be, even if it's not necessarily tailored to their skill set. But at the same time, you have to you have to know when to sort of adjust and when to be flexible. And I think it's really easy for analysts like us to say, "Oh, this guy's not good at that." The coach should just do this thing. But if you do that, your player never gets better. He never he never changes. You're just kind of creating an environment where where he never has to work on his weaknesses. And I think with Jokic, um, something we're both talking about. Scheme things here, but also I think the last three years of sort of getting embarrassed on the defensive end have have given him a sense of urgency on that end of the floor that wasn't there, and he just is a little bit more I think of a competitive and, and focused defender this year, and so it's kind of a nice melding of, of both philosophies with Malone.
1: It also takes time for almost everybody, especially big men, to become a capable defender. You know, yeah. it, it's, I've heard, I remember the the person, I had a conversation with Festus Azili about this a few years ago, and he, I think it was his second or his third year, and I asked him what the biggest adjustment was from, and he was a multi year, I think he played three or four years at Vanderbilt to the NBA, and he said communication. He said that in the NBA, big men especially just, they, they talk so much. That's how the NBA handles a lot of it and that that is a big adjustment for everybody. You know, that, yeah. that you can't... Maybe if like, let's say you are you had a family member that played in the NBA, maybe you have a sense of that or like a... Or maybe like a close friend who's a couple of years older and you could get that sort of lesson but it's the type of thing that you have to really learn by doing and also getting used to the speed of the game, the tactics and, and obviously the sport is evolving and it's evolving at the NBA level in some ways faster than it is other ones just because... The pressures are so great and the skill level is so great that you can, you can, the same guys can work on their game and kind of take it to a different level. And so it is interesting to me, and I think it's notable as well that Denver has, they're getting to the level where they're defending well as a team because they are still incredibly young. And yeah, some of their veteran players are part of why they're defending well. But these are all steps in the process. I can attest to that, having covered the the young Warriors teams that had to figure a lot of that out. And coaching is a part of it, but also a part of it is just learning and working hard.
0: Yeah. And it, another wrinkle to that, and I think it probably applies to Festus Azili as well, although I don't know him personally and, and what the language barrier is, but... Picture Nikola Jokic four years ago, second round pick. Um, nobody expects anything of him. I don't think he really expects anything of himself. His English is terrible. Um, he's not naturally a leader. That's not like he's not. He's not a guy that grew up always being in charge of everything. Um, and now you're forced to captain a defense and, and being thrown into that. And so on top of learning defense at the NBA level and schemes and terminology and all that stuff, you, his communication just it, it gets better every year. But especially that first year, I can't imagine. Him communicating well on defense because I can't imagine him communicating well in a locker room or just out to dinner or whatever. So there's been it's been maybe a slower process than some people would like, and, and he's taken I think unharsh, uh, unfair criticism for for his defense. But I, I, I do think that there is a lot of uh, a high skill set there, and that a lot of the things that. I expected him to improve on over time. He is beginning to improve on over time, including the comfort of being the team's leader and having all eyeballs on him and and being sort of responsible for the team's success on that end.
1: That is a big adjustment. It's something that players have to go through. And Jokic, more so than arguably any big in the entire league has to deal with also being a central figure offensively and <laughs> i would argue that in many ways it is harder to do that you know let's say burning the candle at both ends if you are a ball dominant non-post up you're like you know the, the guys who are posting up cuz that's a mentality thing of okay i'm going to get into position every time i'm basically going to do my thing if i get the ball great if i don't get the ball I'll right. go with it. I'll get a rebound. Jokic's role is more varied. And he also has to have the communication, emotional intelligence, everything else. I mean, like I remember Jason Kidd, John Wall, a lot of point guards that I've talked with about this, the idea of making sure that everyone gets the ball in the right place to succeed, making sure that everyone's happy. And that is a much bigger, much more challenging job because it is a, it is a collaborative part of the ecosystem rather than a, a more singular dominant part of it.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the biggest, maybe the biggest sort of um, intangible change in Jokic, as I alluded to defensively, was accepting the responsibility that he has. And this is all bigs. They have to usually have somebody throw them the ball. And when somebody doesn't throw them the ball, a lot of times you say, "Oh man, he's disappeared. We don't see him out there." And you think, "No, nobody's just nobody's giving the ball inside." Well, the same thing happened for Jokic, I think, out on the perimeter, in that there were games over the last the previous three seasons where he was dominant, and there was games where he wasn't, and you would think, "Well, the team just didn't find him." This year, one of the things that I think is different about Jokic is he doesn't allow the team to not find him. He's he he forces the team to play through him, not in a, an aggressive way where he's like calling people out or yelling this or that. That. But he just – you can tell he's in charge on the court, and the team, of course, all enjoy playing with him, and and, and they enjoy the style of basketball, so they're willing to do it. But in those moments when the ball maybe gets sticky or when it gets a little dysfunctional, he's been very good about sort of forcing the ball into his hands and, and orchestrating the court. Even guys like Paul Millsap, who has really reduced his role, he's got – Um, you know, he's like the the lowest points per game and rebounds and all the other statistics that he's had over the last 10, 10 seasons. But a lot of that has to do with in the offense. He needs to sort of be a cleanup guy. And and Jokic has done a much better job of sort of telling him quite frequently, hey, get out of the way on this play. We're going to do something over here. And you can just see that sort of leadership and that aggressiveness as a, a floor general that that's the biggest change, in my opinion, from last year to this year.
1: I'm betting that it has helped a lot. You you brought up the challenges with Paul Millsap, who is, A, the most established player, but also one of the oldest players in in the regular rotation. I'm guessing it has helped that adjustment period of really getting Jokic empowered that he has played... A longer period of time with Jamal Murray, with Gary Harris, because those guys get what this is, and also, especially if you're dealing with somebody who's getting you the ball, it's a lot easier than someone who's taking touches away from you, which yeah. is more of what happened with Millsap.
0: Yeah, and and I had you have to give Paul Millsap an enormous amount of credit because he's a four-time All Star. He's the, the only player on this Nuggets roster that's really experienced success. And it there was a moment last year, I mentioned January as a sort of turning point. He made it clear to Michael Malone, and he made it clear to Nikola Jokic that Jokic is the team's best player, and he's not there to take that from him. He, I mean, it was, there was never a conflict or anything like that, but he could sense this uneasiness of everybody's looking at me, but they need to be looking at Nikola, and he made that clear. He had a sit-down w- w- with Nikola, and, and from that moment on, I think that's when Jokic has really um, embraced this role. So I give a lot of credit to Paul Millsap because not a lot of players has accomplished as him would go to a, a team as unaccomplished as Denver and willfully take a back seat like he did on the offensive end.
1: And that balance, that ecosystem is incredibly important and it it can be a reason the team fail. I mean, there are lots of reasons why groups with a lot of talent can disappoint. I mean, they can be yeah. bad fit. It can be the scheme doesn't work. Maybe they have the wrong coach for that group of players, or there's just some sort of shared fatal flaw. There are a lot of different ways. And I'm going to be watching, you know, one places is, is Philadelphia where I think that it's, it's going to be harder for them, not impossible, but it's going to be harder for them because of this idea of identity and because yeah. their strengths are more in conflict than what this Nuggets core is. Now, Philly's talent level is ridiculous. I mean, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, they're all amazing basketball players. But I think it's harder to make those pieces fit together into a hole that not even is, is greater than the sum of its parts, that is even close to equal to the sum of its parts.
0: Yeah, and that's the nice thing about Denver right now and the team that they have is it really is such a cohesive unit. Uh, Mason Plumlee, who we mentioned earlier, he was a starter on a playoff team who is now in the prime of his career. And he's playing 20 minutes a night and and sort of accepts that role very happily. Um, and there's a lot of guys just making that sort of sacrifice. Now, people always ask me, this is going to be fun for the next, you know, X amount of years, eight years, because this team all is unselfish. And I think. They're unselfish right now, but I think that culture and identity is something that has to constantly be worked on. I don't think it's one of those things where this is just a collection of nice guys and they'll always be happy with their roles. I think it's one of those things that right now is an A-plus for the team. But it has to be constantly refined and constantly worked on or else we've seen a lot of good locker rooms where everybody's happy fall apart um, for this or that reason. But, but at least right now, the team is an, is an incredibly cohesive unit by all accounts.
1: It can happen for a variety of reasons, and it's more obvious when the team doesn't succeed because then the players can go, well, if I had a greater opportunity, we'd be better or something like that. But it can also happen when they get a a voice in their ear. It could be a friend. It could be a family member saying, you can do more than this, or maybe it's the last year before a new contract. Like all of these things can happen, and so that's why another part of what any good or great organization is doing is, even if it's just as a safety mechanism, to have some sort of fallback, have another option, to have something else in place, in case especially a non-key member, you can't, as you said, you can't really build a team, so what happens if Jokic gets hurt? Well, then you're a completely different team. But, if, I'm not singling him out for any reason, like let's say if Gary Harris, or if Jamal Murray, or if Will Barton, like if it doesn't work, maybe they get hurt, or they just want a bigger role, that you have somebody else who can step in in case of injury or in case of something happening.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Another weird thing to to think about with all of this is this is a team full of second round picks and like late first round picks and they're all young. So you take a bunch of young guys who weren't supposed to make it anyway and they're and they're thriving. It's it's really no mystery that they're all happy. The question will be, as that excess no longer becomes a surprise, it, it becomes more of an expectation. Then are the guys a little bit less happy with this or that role? And as you mentioned, every, this season will likely end in heartbreak for the Nuggets. I don't think they're going to win an NBA championship. So w- when inevitably they are bounced from the playoffs, is, is there a moment of, hey, this guy shot too much or this guy couldn't defend his position and or or this or that so i I say all that not to sound ominous i think the team is well positioned to handle those things i mean every team has to deal with those types of things and denver i think is well positioned for it but right now their chemistry the camaraderie the cohesiveness is all an a plus and it's because of all those factors And, and i can i expect that to continue throughout this season
1: Plenty more to talk about with Adam Morris, but first, a message from our friends at BetOnline.ag. As many of you know, I'm always trying to make the podcast bigger and better, and what BetOnline.ag is offering is is really remarkable, and it's better than anything I've expected. They are for you can you can enter for the next week or just a little less than a week, you can get a once in a lifetime trip to the NFL's biggest game of the year weekend trip to the big game for two people game of course is on february 3rd and how you get involved is you sign up today on betonline.ag you create an account and you use the promo code b-i-g-g-a-m-e and it's, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, you have a paid flight, paid hotel, VIP tailgate party, and tickets to the big game for you, a friend, family member, significant other. Our exclusive partners at betonline.ag have the golden tickets, and this is your opportunity to place a bet on yourself. Don't miss out. The promotion ends on January 28th, so it's just a few days away. And again, how you get involved is you visit betonline.ag and use that promo code BIGGAME, B-I-G-G-A-M-E, when signing up for your account. Something I wanted to talk with you about was some of the some of the role players that I think are are an important part of this story, especially with Isaiah Thomas missing the whole season so far. Monte Morris has really stepped up and has stepped into a role, and what I wanted to to talk about with him was, let's say he ends up being, you know, more of a backup point guard than anything else. Are you comfortable saying that what he has done this season, maybe not in every facet, but it is is repeatable enough that you feel good at that position moving forward? And what like do you do you like the fit of him playing with the starters as well when necessary, like maybe in a kind of a Carlisle-esque two-point guard-sized lineup.
0: Sure. And Denver has run those lineups out already this season and they've looked really good. I I think the Monte Morris is an incredible talent and he led the NCAA in assist to turnover ratio. So the fact that he's doing it now at the pro level, I guess he's actually technically second behind Tyus Jones. um, It it shouldn't come as a surprise. And I don't think there's any reason to think it's not sustainable. He's a very high IQ player. He knows how to run an offense. So I think that part of it is sustainable. He's shooting 43 percent from the three point line. And that's the part that I think he's probably quite a bit hotter than than what we can expect of him. I know he's worked on that quite a bit over the last two summers, so it's been a point of emphasis for him. so maybe we can expect him to be a a thirty seven thirty eight or better three point shooter but for but forty three percent is pretty elite um so that's the one area I think he can regress. The other area, and this is a big question mark more for playoff series specific type stuff. He is really slender and, and really small. And that's why he went in the second round. No, nobody that had the, the achievements that he had at the NCAA level would go outside the first round unless there was some sort of tragic flaw. And for him, six foot three, 175 pounds, you wonder if in a playoff series, A Sean Livingston or somebody like that renders him unplayable because he just doesn't have the size, strength, or length to to contest those types of guys. That's more what I think he's susceptible to. But over the course of a regular season, you're going to get a point guard that doesn't make mistakes and can knock down open shots, And, and that's really valuable from the backup point guard position.
1: It really is. And consistency, reliability are extremely important, especially on a team that has other players that can shoulder other parts of the burden. You don't need Monte Morris to solve all of your problems. But if he's not creating many new ones, I think that works out really well.
0: Yeah. And that's a good way to put him, Uh, especially at the point guard position. It's a game of mistakes for everybody. um, But at the point guard position, mistakes really kill you. He just doesn't make mistakes. So anything he does positive is is a big bonus.
1: Someone else primarily on that second unit that I've been intrigued by this year is Malik Beasley. You know, Beasley was, I think it was like the 25th pick a couple of years ago. And what I want, I I think for him, the question, the thing I'm most interested in is what is his ideal role? And are you comfortable? Because it seems like this is the case with him being outside of that and just contributing enough, but not, you know, even if he can't be the perfect thing because they have so many other guys.
0: I think this is a fantastic question, and w- the way I would answer it is that he is a tremendous talent. I mean, his three-point shot is really pretty. He's able to get – he elevates on his shot, and he's able to kind of get into a shooting motion very quickly. So th- that sort of increases his gravity. And then on top of that, he's an elite athlete, he, very explosive, very quick, fast-twitch muscles. Um, you know, the thing that I like about his game, I think he's still learning the game. Um, at an NBA level. He has a steep uh, learning curve there, but that's still kind of the challenge for him is to improve his feel and his basketball IQ. But what I like about his approach this year is he is basically a shooter and slasher and defender, and he doesn't really unravel any other pieces of his game. What I think the next step for him, now that he has sort of solidified that role and and, and has excelled in that role, which is a low-usage, probably, bench role, now he gets to try out his handle a little bit more. Dribble the ball more and dribble handoffs and and, and in pick-and-rolls. Not a whole lot. You're not running plays for him in the pick-and-roll. But as you catch the ball on a reversal and and you have that opportunity, now he gets to try that and make the basic passes and the basic reads. And once he excels at that, then you can unravel another layer to it. So I think with him, he's a guy that came into the league with – all of these raw tools and didn't know how to pick which ones. I think now in year three, he knows this is my bread and butter, three-point shooting and slashing. He's very, very, very good at that. And now you get to sort of develop the rest of your game to become a more well-rounded player and ultimately a starter. So I think he's really learned the balance for him to break into this league. He's, and he's been a huge part of why Denver has succeeded so far.
1: As a primary assignment, because switching, you know, there are lots of different approaches that can put you in different places. What positions do you feel comfortable having Beasley defend at the NBA level?
0: Yeah, I think he's primarily a guard defender, um... He, he can grow into being more of a small, uh, small forward defender, especially against second units and, and more staggered lineups. He's not going to guard a LeBron or a Kevin Durant, or, or if he does, he's going to really struggle in those matchups. Bigger bodies, Paul George's of the world. I know nobody stops these guys, but him in particular has no chance, I don't think, of, of slowing them down. So he still has to grow into that. But, um, I think in a pinch, especially with second units, there's a lot of threes he can guard, but his best matchup is at the two.
1: Well, and there's a point there that I think is, is underappreciated in terms of team building and, and obviously you want guys, one of the ideas for second unit players, is that you want them to be able to step into a starting role for whoever is, is out. But I think teams, and I brought up for Carlisle earlier, I think that he was a, a leader in this idea is that I think teams can get away going a lot smaller on second units than they're doing now. I mean, really, how, how many, because of the scarcity at small forward, how many capable scorers Are there on the three line who don't start,
0: right? And so
1: playing somebody, yeah, maybe you're not comfortable with Malik Beasley guarding LeBron James. There, you you shouldn't be. I mean, there are a lot of reasons (laughs) why that's the case. But I think teams just need to take that as an assumption. And yeah, you probably want to have another. You want to have as many threes on your roster as you can. But if you don't, get comfortable with you know having not only just two point guards, but two point guards and a two. And you know maybe that you can go in a couple different directions at power forward, but can can dance around that too. And that's it's it's an interesting idea. And it's not like there are a ton of extra two guards in the league, but I think there are more rotation caliber guys than at that small forward where. The supply is just so low that everybody who can starts
0: that 's a great point, and and you go through the lineups there's almost no small forwards off of the bench that you think oh that's the guy that's going to to beat you um, that 's the guy we have to have an elite defender on so i, I don't think it's really a, that big of an issue and, and By the way, Denver doesn 't have a single player that can defend small forwards, even in the starting lineup will Barton's a great offensive player, and he has some length, but he's pretty slender build he can 't handle the big guys either. Torrey Craig, the team's best probably on ball defender, but he 's also a little bit slender so it, it's not like Denver has other options right now ahead of him, Um, and and it's not like they've been punished this year by teams, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard, they beat twice now, Um, LeBron James, they beat once, so they've been able to, as much as that's a weakness, they've been able to overcome it by the benefits those players uh, provide.
1: Right, and I think, and it's been interesting because they've played Torrey Craig a lot, and this is actually one of the reasons that in certain circumstances, you know, when guys are available, that you might want, that teams could go in a different direction, is the idea that a slight mitigation of another team's strength might not be worth the weakness on the other end. And I think sometimes coaches get get so cognizant of, oh my God, this team has player X. Let's use LeBron if we want to. We have to have a LeBron stopper or something like that. Well, there aren't that many in the league. And so if you can't get somebody who can, let's say, take, 20% off of that, you know, like make him make make his life that much harder, well, then maybe it's worth considering going in a very different direction, because you're not creating an advantage, and maybe you're taking one away.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing for Denver, with specifically regarding that small forward position, is they have this guy, Michael Porter Jr., sort of in the background, who I think... Uh, defensively, I don't know that, I don't know what kind of defender he is. I don't think he's going to be an elite lockdown guy, but he probably has that small forward position, you know, sort of, he, he's the guy that's most likely to take that over at some point down the line. So, um, Denver right now, I don't think it's one of those things where they look at their roster and think we need to do something to shore up this weakness. It's more of a, yeah, that's our biggest weakness on our roster and we're just going to have to overcome it.
1: I'm happy you brought up Porter, somebody that I am familiar with because he was at the 2017 Hoop Summit and was the definitive star of that Hoop Summit. There were there were a lot of guys that you know, were impressed in various capacities. And Porter, I described him then in a way that actually paralleled Jason Tatum, who was in the Hoop Summit the year before. And what that was was about guys who are probably better at the four, you know, defensively because almost it's the old Kevin Arnavitz. If, if you're not sure, then a guy's the power forward. That 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 is broadly <laughs> true, but that both of them were capable enough to play the three if necessary. And I, I and that sounds like it's criticism. It is absolutely not because there are a lot of guys that just can't make that switch. They can't really slide down, and because the supply is so low, you can do that. And so with Porter, a lot has happened to him physically since that point. I mean all. Of the back step back that, you know, back then you weren't seeing any of that. And so we'll have to see what parts of that affect him moving forward. But the talent that he displayed with the ball in his hands, you know, really could be a grab and go guy, but then could also create, create offense in isolation, but, you know, pretty good, you know, not a, like a, a preternatural passer, but, you know, capable, you know, at the level, at the level that you would be happy with. Right. and Denver sure yeah they, they could use they could use anything that 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 he can bring but the idea of having somebody who has that kind of a ceiling who you don't need anything from right now is that that's actually the idea that I've always said that a, a good team should use should try to accumulate a few really late draft picks kind of like that one that Philly has from the from the heat with the idea of they can be an infusion and yep. it might not be this season but I'm fascinated by the idea of Michael Porter jr as an infusion for its Team that doesn't need it to be successful.
0: And that's exactly where Denver's at. And I think they've done a good job of that in this whole rebuild. They have guys that are staggered. I mean, I think I'm still very high on Juancho Hernán Gómez, who had a very good first two months of the season and then has kind of fallen off Malik Beasley. These are guys that have for through their first two seasons, didn't get a ton of minutes. Now they're contributing. I think Michael Porter jr. Has a chance if he can stay healthy to sort of be that same, same type of guy. Another guy I'll throw out there who I'm very excited about and who has just got cleared to play is Jared Vanderbilt, who was a top 10 recruit out of high school. And went to Kentucky, had a couple foot problems, had a couple foot surgeries, which I think always scares people away. But, you know, he's just been cleared and he's another guy that Denver was afforded the opportunity to take a high upside, high risk uh player in the draft and and now you look at it over the next two or three seasons he could he could he works as a new draft pick next year basically because that's when he'll really join the lineup so denver i think has been smart and and i think their strategy it's not by coincidence i think it's actually very deliberate that they looked at their roster and said okay we like jamal we like nicola um what can we do to set ourselves up down the line and be patient and take a big swing and, and we'll see if it works out
1: That is also a benefit of having... Enough depth that you don't have to freak out as much about the present. And I think teams screw this up a lot because the expectation should never be that a, especially a like late lottery pick or even later than that, is going to solve all your problems. You know, like oh, we drafted some player at 16, they're going to be our new starter at small forward. Nope, they're probably not if your team not if your team wants to be good. And so right. Denver with both Vanderbilt and Michael Porter, and there's a chance that one or both of those totally blow up in their face. Like that, that is a possibility. But that is a very different decision at 14 than it is at 6 and like uh, yeah. Michael Porter to me was the most talented guy you know what that I saw the hoops of it. And, and you know we didn't get a lot of film on him at Missouri obviously he was the most talented guy in that class so are like hey, well, maybe even if it's a 1 in 10 chance that he can be that guy that that's valuable and so Denver by having their ducks in a row it makes you more comfortable going swinging for the fences a little bit harder because it you still have enough to work with where it's not going to sink you <laughs>
0: And I'll tell you, Danny, I I put him – the draft was fun because he was such an out-of-nowhere thing and it was like, okay, this is exciting. But then he's been out of sight, out of mind for the the entire season until a week ago when Malone sort of unprompted gave a a little update on him just saying, oh – it really gets you excited. Somebody asked about the excitement of the team and the young core going forward and he said something to the effect of it really gets you excited when you then look over across and see Michael Porter Jr. and he might be the best three-point shooter on the team and we do ball handling drills that he participates in and he has this great handle and great feel. And that's. And it was the first time I kind of thought oh yeah, this guy actually exists and he actually might, there's a chance he actually does play someday. So um, the talent I think is very, very, very real with him. Uh, unfortunately, so are the Injuries.
1: But, but how is it a surprise that Michael Malone talked about a player who was injured? They're so forthcoming about the status of
0: players who are, who are unavailable. <laughs> right. It's, it's a weird thing. Of, it's not just the Nuggets anymore. I feel like most teams now, um, a player will go down and it's a lower body injury. And you think, oh, man, come on. You could give us something more than that. He's, he's out four weeks to seven months. Like, okay, all right. We we have no idea what the injury is or how long or any updates like that. It, it's kind of ridiculous.
1: I will say, though, that I'm happier with some of those Vague things, then when you get a timeline and then it gets pushed back but you never hear why. Like that's been yeah. frustrating with the Isaiah stuff. And it, it could just be that things happen. I mean when you're just dealing with a hip issue as he has been now for basically two years, there can be setbacks. But to have it be like, oh they're expecting a I think it was the first the first date and remember we don't hear many dates for the Nuggets was mid December. We're late January now and now the the most recent thing that I that Woj had out there was that it, they're hoping by the All Star break. And it's great that Denver has not needed him that they've been able to get through it but i don't know for i i guess for me it's the idea of expectations that kind of bothers yeah. me more than the oh you'll find out just when they come back like kind of like what indiana did with oladipo
0: yeah it it, it can be fresh I, I do see why they do it and you're absolutely right had they told us um oh he'll be back in November and then here we are in January with no updates that would have been significantly worse. Um I'm curious though what do you, what is what's your take on Isaiah Thomas because we just talked about Monte Morris and how great he has been and how sort of he fits very nicely with that second unit. Um Isaiah Thomas obviously a better player in a vacuum but he is to me this we talk about chemistry and camaraderie and this unique style of play and all these other things and then also defensive weaknesses I just don't – I honestly don't understand where he fits into the equation, and that's not because he's not a great player. I just look at him and I think, man, I wonder, are the Nuggets in a rush to get him back or are they kind of like, hey, take your time?
1: I imagined that early on they might have felt like they were in a rush, but then when Morris really did deliver, they could change the approach. And Isaiah is – he is a tough fit if he's anything less than than his best because i mean the isaiah who was i I wouldn't say he was a candidate to win the mvp in my opinion he was more but he could deserve a spot on the ballot just because he was wonderful that last year in boston but it he is a very specific type of player you know he can create offense for himself he can create offense for others but he's also just an easy point of attack just because defensively because opponents know how small he is i think he could compete a little bit better but remember brad stevens was his coach then and stevens Done a nice job scheming through weaknesses. So I think that you're right with how Denver is handling it right now. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was not their approach at the beginning of the season. It was not their approach when they pitched signing him. You know, sure, they weren't, they weren't of course not. There. But uh. – you just you deal with it as it comes and what i'm hoping and this this gets into the complex kind of interpersonal dynamics of a team whether it's a successful team or an unsuccessful team is can they play this both ways and what i mean by that is give isaiah an opportunity to shine should he earn you know like should he play well enough to do it well also saying hey we're going for some really good things here you haven't been a part of it if you are not at that level you're going to need to be okay with not playing as much and that is very very hard to do and that isn't why you know cleveland's chemistry was such a disaster last year but it didn't help
0: right and it, it, and it's also he's sort of inherently set up to not need to agree to that right and i'm i'm not trying to pick on the guy i think he's been great by all accounts he's been a great voice in the locker room and just an encouraging guy for this team and at a time when i think they needed a veteran presence even if it was just off of the bench or in the locker room. Um but he needs to prove I mean he's he's in, entering a point in his career where he probably only has one more, you know, chance at this big contract and this year is so important to that. So if would he accept, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to shoot that much and I'm only going to play 16 minutes a night and I'm more of a a, a system player." I it, He is set up in a way that it actually benefits him not to be that guy, in my opinion. So it really, really is a tough situation, I think, um, that Denver finds them in once he's ready to come back and play.
1: It is a pretty amazing statement that, you know, let's say 50 games in, we can already start thinking with Denver about the playoffs, but, you know, that's that's what happens when you are close to the best record, tied in the lost column as we record this with the Warriors for the best record in the Western Conference. So I want to look at that, and there are a couple different elements. One is the importance of getting a high seed because it is still a, a pretty big jumble in the Western Conference, but then how that also connects with potential opponents. So we'll start with that, actually, of who do you think are particularly favorable or unfavorable matchups of the reasonably possible playoff teams? You know, we don't have yeah. to get into how they fare. Yes, Sacramento and Memphis could make the playoffs, but I don't th- <laughs> I don't think that that's as, as relevant as some of the other ones.
0: Well, so I, I, this is a good question, and I'll go sort of in order. The number one team, I think, that would not only beat Denver, but probably not provide them with the best sort of information and intel on how to proceed going forward. I think part of what this postseason is about for Denver is to say, okay, what are our strengths and weaknesses when the games really matter in a, a postseason and adjust from there? But the first team is the Houston Rockets, who Denver has not beat for three straight seasons now. Um, that Um They run that spread pick and roll. We mentioned bigger-bodied wings, specifically small forwards, but I think it works for James Harden as well. Denver just – they have some quick guys, Torrey Craig, um, Gary Harris, who are quick and can handle guys their size or smaller – But James Harden is a real – he's a bull, and he just – he bullies those guys. And then when he gets Jokic switched out on an island, that's thats as big of a mismatch as you're going to find. So the Houston Rockets are the number one team. If Denver got matched up with them in a first-round playoff series, my fear is that not only would Denver lose in four or five games, but I'm not sure that they would really learn a lot about themselves that they don't already know. And, And that would almost make it feel a little bit like a wasted opportunity. Um. The second team, it, for very many of the similar reasons, would be the Lakers, and the Lakers I, I don't think, nearly as good as Houston, even with LeBron healthy, but it's LeBron James, and they're going to run, especially in a playoff series, I know they changed the style of play for, for most of the regular season when he was healthy, but in a playoff series, they're going to spread the ball out and run pick and roll with LeBron, and Denver is just not prepared to handle him. No no team really is, but Denver, I think especially, it would be in a tight spot trying to trying to contain that. Um, I think that... They match up well with them at every other position and the bench, but unfortunately, LeBron would be enough so those are the two teams that I look at that are you know Denver has a realistic shot of matching up with in the first round that I think those would be really, really tough series that i'm not sure Denver would would be able to walk away and, and feel like they know how they have to adjust in the off season.
1: Yeah, those, those make a lot of sense as potential pitfalls because of the unusual nature of the teams and the specific strengths. And and I think that Denver could fare pretty well against everyone else. Some of it's going to be who's playing, what teams are, are playing well, what teams are peaking, and which teams are fading back. But it does look like at the moment that Denver, as long as they can kind of keep pace here, that they will have home court in the first round. And Denver, due to the altitude, has the best competitive yeah. advantage historically and independent of team strength. Though I do think that can get muted somewhat in a playoff series because you're, nobody's ever playing on a back-to-back.
0: And it always does. Denver doesn't have a great playoff record. Their their home record in the regular season as a franchise is very, very good, even even relative to their overall performance um, in 52 seasons. But in the playoffs, that's been a lot more muted, as you mentioned. I still think Denver will have a home court advantage, though. Um, and, and in the past, they've they, they've had some teams that were good regular season teams and not great playoff teams. I think now, I think their team is a is better suited to be a playoff team than most people give them credit for. There's this idea out there that. Oh, they, what they do is a complete gimmick. You know, they have a center who's a point guard, but once you scout for it, you take that all away. And I, I've never bought into that. I, I again, it's, it's weird and almost frustrating at times covering this team because the narratives never change. The expectations just kind of do. And, and it's almost like, oh, this team will never win. They'll never be a playoff team the way they're built. And then they make the playoffs. Oh, yeah, but it, all those things we said are true. It's just we were wrong about making the playoff part. And and so it's it's kind of ridiculous. They're gonna to have to prove it in a postseason one way or another. But you you kind of alluded to this. The Lakers and the Rockets, those are the tough matchup, and obviously the Warriors, but I don't think that's realistic. Oklahoma City, Portland, San Antonio, the Clippers, Utah, all of those teams I think Denver should either be favored in or close to a pick'em uh in a playoff series because I just think they're a lot more talented. Uh there's more star power on teams like Oklahoma City. But Denver, I think, is going to score on teams. And some of these teams that struggle to score like Utah and Oklahoma City, I, I just think that Denver, even if they do lose some of these superstar matchups, Denver just has a lot more weapons that I think will be able to keep pace with them. I'm, I'm not saying I, I pick them to win all of those series, but those aren't ones that I feel like you look at and say, oh, no, Denver has no chance in those like I do with Houston or Golden State.
1: Also, I think, though we haven't had the opportunity to see it yet, giving the starters a higher proportion of minutes, even though Denver has this theoretical and and legitimate strength of their depth, that improving their starters going that way will help them more than it will help some other teams. I mean, I don't think this is a circumstance like, let's say, Indiana, where Sabonis and Miles Turner are both very successful, but you can't play both of them more in a playoff series, and so you're going to get you get diminishing right. returns. Now, with them, you get Oladipo, who's awesome, and, and you maybe you can play him a higher proportion of minutes. But with Denver, I think that could help them. It, it does depend. I mean, then if you get into the thing with, like, the Rockets or a team like that, then, then if it, James Harden's already playing 40 minutes, so I guess you can't play him that many more, you know, a couple maybe. So how that shakes out. But the last question I want to ask you on the Nuggets is about Paul Millsap. Millsap is, I, I talked about how this team is probably going to be together for years to come. A lot of those guys are contractually, though that can change via trade anytime. Time. and Millsap is the one uncertain factor here. Denver has the team option for next year, but they could of course they could pick that up and keep him. They could also decline it and they could restructure. They could presumably even be talking about that now that wouldn't be a problem based on the the structures that are allowed. So, what is your feel for that situation, especially considering it would be very difficult for the Nuggets to replace Millsap should they choose to decline it for that purpose.
0: What's interesting about Millsap, I think this answer was a lot easier 5 months ago cuz I would have said, "Oh, they need him. I think they can they the, I think the plan all along was to overpay him a little bit these first 2 years, 30 million a year roughly f- last year and this season, decline the team option but then restructure his deal. That's why they did it as a team option, not as a non-guaranteed deal cuz it would provide them this opportunity to this summer say, "Hey, we want to pay you and we want to keep you, but let's stretch that money over the course of three or four seasons instead of instead of just the one, and, and I think there's a good chance of them working that out. Um, I I think Paul Millsap sees how good this team can be and probably wants to to write it out. That's every indication that he has given. Yeah. But here's another interesting wrinkle to it: Jokic and and Plumlee have been about as effective as Jokic and Millsap this year on on relatively similar you know minute totals. They they've both played a lot, and the synergy between those two guys, Plumlee has a lot of different skills. He's now been in Denver longer than he's been in Portland or Brooklyn, which I think is very surprising. I did, when I heard that, I was I was kind of surprised by that. And he's changed his game. He's a he's such a good role player because in Brooklyn he was a pick and roll lob threat, and in, in Portland he was a passer at the top of the key. Here in Denver, he's a defensive hustle guy and rebounder, and that type that that mold actually works really really well next to Jokic, and those two have really found a nice chemistry. So. I wonder. My thought is, I think that gives Denver a little bit of leverage going into this off season. I, I think they probably want to do right by Paul and come to some type of agreement where where everybody's happy. But I think you look at it and say, worst case scenario, he bolts for another location for one more year. We have Mason Plumlee who can kind of fill in, and at least statistically has been as effective as Paul in that role. So that gives them a little bit of a a, a plan B if they need it
1: it would have been great if they could if Denver could have made it through this year having a sense of the capacity for Porter or Vanderbilt to fill some part of that like some some part yeah. of that role but you know, that wasn't, that wasn't really a realistic expectation. But I do think that the, the options they have, Wancho being another one, I think, you know, he could fit in a couple different roles. He's obviously not going to be another Paul Millsap, but maybe the idea of succeeding in a slightly different way could work there. And so maybe Denver thinks a little bit more about a a, a shorter term thing, just with the idea that we can find somebody who, who can be another option, you know, not necessarily the next Paul Millsap. At that spot over let's say the next two years, as opposed to saying let 's give this guy another four years of of, of money, basically his last big contract,
0: yeah, yeah, and maybe it doesn't have to even be the years it, it, it's as you mentioned they paid they paid sixty million dollars to him over the last two years i don't i don't think he would have made that money anywhere else. Um and I always even when that contract came out I thought okay it's a smart contract for Denver because they have money to spend these next 2 years and I think you can go to the table this summer and say look 60 million dollars you missed half of both seasons um you know we can let's let's uh let's work something out here 2 years where you that 30 million we owe you we can do it split over two years where that second year we're not really we, – we can go out and sign somebody else or add some money somewhere else. And I just think that's an easy sell. If he takes it, I think Denver's in a great position to slowly – bring Jared Vanderbilt into the fold as a backup guy who maybe three years from now would be ready to take over a starting role, or if not, adjust and find somebody in free agency. Um, so I think that's the plan for Denver from their perspective. What, How Paul will view that is a big question mark for me. And I'll throw this out to you as kind of a, a real curveball. I, I always watch Golden State and just kind of think about Draymond and how much do they want to pay him going forward and this or that. The one team that I could think maybe could sneak Paul away is, is to say, hey, look, I know you're different than Draymond Green. But maybe he's a cheap replacement at this at this level, and you could say, hey, man, come win two championships at the end of your career. And by the way, replace Draymond and get all the credit that Draymond did because uh, Paul Millsap is is still an elite help side defensive player, which is a lot of what Draymond does. Maybe not at his level, but he's still very, very good at it. And he can play the role of facilitator in a, in a fast-moving offense. So he might be a good B-plus replacement for Draymond that is more open to the money he would get at this stage of his career.
1: That's really interesting. I hadn't, I had never really thought about that before. Still more to talk about with Adamaris, but first a message from TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do? In about a minute, get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pay your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you will get an accurate true cash offer from a local certif- True car certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they will check it out with you together. You can ask questions, get the answers you need so there are no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. We can talk a little bit. You watched the, the whole NBA at, for, various, for various reasons, I mean, because also you're a basketball fan, and I, I kind of wanted to go a little bit more broad scope of, what, this can be more of a conversation than anything else, but like, what are you seeing? Is there anything that you think is worth discussing with the league that you're seeing outside of Denver right now?
0: Well, I say the the run that Golden State is on right now is um – I'm not going to say I was ready to write them off. They were always going to be the favorites. But up until about three weeks ago, you looked at them and thought there's just signs that they're not as deep as they're supposed to be and they, they can get punished inside or this or that. They've reminded, I think, everybody over the last three weeks that when Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant are locked in, and and Draymond Green doing what he does, but specifically those other three guys, when they're making shots, it's not that they're the best team in the NBA, it's that they're unbeatable. And so for me, I'm watching this league through the first three months of the season and thinking, okay, this is kind of an interesting year. There's a lot going on, and you're watching it over the last two, two and a half weeks and thinking okay the the big prize is still golden states to fumble away and, and punt away if, if for whatever reason but it's in their hands to lose and, and that's kind of been a big shift for me over the last couple of weeks
1: and really it, it you know not consistently every second of every game but I think it's been a story on both ends of the floor. The offense is obviously going to get the attention. I mean, Denver, the game against Denver was was significant, dropping, <laughs> dropping those 51 points in the first quarter. But another th- part of the Warriors story that I think has been lost a little bit in the shuffle was that they really did struggle defensively in the early part of the season. Granted, that's not a new thing. They've, that's happened the last couple of years because they don't have as much of a motivation to care and to execute. But the other big part was Draymond Green being, being off the floor. And so Draymond, yep. this season, the Warriors have... a a one hundred three point two o- defensive rating. They have a way better offensive rating when he <laughs> is on the floor and. Green is both a singular talent but also a good proxy for, like, some of the Warriors' best lineups. And, yeah. And so if they're defending when he's on the floor, it's hard to see them – maybe they don't have their, like, you know, peak fastball. But if they can still get it over the plate and still make make people miss on the defensive end, then it makes life easier offensively. You know, the, I've, t- I've talked about feedback loops and a lot of these other elements, and so – I've always thought of the Warriors as kind of needing, they need both sides of the coin to be at a certain level in order to be like, not maybe not unbeatable, but pretty close to it. And. That Houston series, I mean, the Houston series in the Western Conference Finals last year, if they're defending worse than they did, they probably would have lost. They, their Houston got the winners yeah. out of everything. They were running a lot of ISOs and just, just not as effective offensively. Houston doesn't get enough credit for that. But because they were still able to defend, not give a, as much in transition, and other than the uncertainty of how DeMarcus Cousins fits into that mix – I don't see much of a reason to believe that the Warriors are going to like that they've fallen off a cliff defensively. And so beyond the, you know, the scoring explosions, the, you know, 150 offensive ratings in the first 3 quarters, that type of stuff, that is the other reason that if I were the rest of the league, I would be very uncomfortable right now.
0: Do you think that, I'm trying to like squint to see some sort of optimism for any other team here for an exciting playoff run, but do you think that it's a little strange how well they're playing in January? And I know they played very lethargic. And they had guys hurt. And, and and part of the excitement, I think, is everybody got healthy and they got to be whole again. And, and there's that enthusiasm around. But they they took that Denver game very seriously. They took the New Orleans game seriously. They've just taken a lot of games seriously, at least for majorities of the game. And part of me looks at it and thinks, they don't need to be afraid of Denver. They don't need to be afraid of Oklahoma City. You know, even the Lakers, like, whatever. I, I don't think they really need to be concerned. And it seems a little I, – I keep wondering, how long does this stretch? Go on for. Is it just kind of a, a mid-season reminder, and then they'll take their foot off the gas again, or or are they going to wear themselves out?
1: I don't think it's going to continue. My read on it. So I, I've talked before about how the calibrator for the Warriors like really caring is defense because offensively it's it's such yeah. a collaborative system, and they're so talented that. Some nights they look good and some nights they look bad and I've never really thought of it as an effort thing. Sometimes maybe they get discouraged if they have a bad first five minutes or a bad first quarter and then they get encouraged when it goes well defensively it's been you know it's been inconsistent. They, they did show a little, they did show more effort in the Denver game and then they get they get up for teams that they that they have a reason to or a player that they have a reason to respect like Anthony Davis has always done that for this team going back to hit the first playoff appearance that that he had was against the Warriors and even though that was a sweep AD was great in that series right, and I, I think people sight cited that and The Lakers are the Lakers, you know, especially with LeBron now that I think that's a little bit different, but it won't be that way for, for every game moving forward. And this road trip will, will be a a kind of a proxy for some of those different tests. And I think the other element that led to them trying a little bit more this January was just that they hadn't, they hadn't really put it all together at any point yet. And I'm guessing that bothered some of the guys on the team. It definitely bothered the coaching staff and the idea of like, okay, maybe it's just for a week, but oh yeah, we can beat everybody. (laughs) Like, you know, that, that sort of, like, I I think that there is something silly there is something for a kind of <laughs> mental stability and stamina to go uh, yeah we like we know we can do it but let's just let's just have it out there and and like dream that's what to- this
0: was though yeah. that's what I feel like that, I feel like that's exactly what's happened is they they said you know what this I, and that's why I keep wondering when's it going to end because it honestly should they don't need to be pushing themselves right now oh,
1: it, it's going to end in the next week or two I mean maybe they'll okay. get up for the boston game i don't th- uh. I, I think they might end up being really flat against the wizards probably still win even though they've had um the the, the wizards have actually been under Underratedly competitive since John Wall went out, which is something yeah, I want to keep true. an eye on. That, but that is a good one. But yeah, I, I think that the Warriors they are kind of their own their own thing, and also, also it, they understand that it's a really long season, and so once we get into February and all, and, and once the the Demarcus Cousins excitement subsides, which which will happen probably over the next week as well, because they the Warriors this has been the case for years. They, they get up for specific things, but it can be elements that are maybe hard to understand when you're outside of it, like really being excited for Nick Young and JaVale winning championships or, you know, the David West yeah. stuff is a little bit more obvious. And so these kind of like... I've talked for years about how Steve Kerr loves reclamation projects. But it's also true for the guys, especially when they were invested in how it happened. And you know, DeMarcus the Warriors were not the reason Demarcus Cousins joined the Warriors. Demarcus Cousins being willing to take the middle-level exception is why that happened. But everybody's excited about it on the team and they get to see it and, and it's a story that they can invest in emotionally and then it excites them physically. And when the 82 game... It's so amazing. This it's so It's been so strange covering this team over the last few years because when the 82 game grind doesn't really mean much to you, not because yeah. you're so bad, but because you're so good, you're kind of looking for a reason to get into little pockets of it. And it could be, hey, this guy said something bad about your team or whatever. Maybe ESPN said something bad about your team, whatever it is. And they kind of need those little things to get interested in or a little bit of a fight or something else. And that's not to say, like, the the Draymond Durant thing was that. That was something very different, and, and we'll see what the ramifications of that were. But the little things like DeMarcus Cousins coming back or playing against a, somebody, a former teammate or whatever like that. Yeah. Th- those will be things that make that 82 games more interesting for them.
0: Yeah. And I think you're, and that's probably again, why they've played so well at this specific moment in time is they got everybody back healthy. Then DeMarcus joined the team and there was just reason to kind of get up for the games on, on a Wednesday. And when they get up from them, they're, they're beating teams over the last 10 by an average of 17 points, which I mean, that that's, that's absurd. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um my other my other big question, I know this is this is actually I should say Utah is another team I have my eye on. They're the 8 seed right now, but they're scheduled very famously very soft from here on out. Um I'm curious to see if they are actually like last year just a good team that might skyrocket up the standings. Um and then the other thing is and I'm going to get laughed at now for saying this. I'm a big LeBron James guy. He's been the, one of the reasons I love the NBA. This injury scares me because it's 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 one of those weird injury, injuries that is the type of injury you have when you start to break down, and I'm not saying he is. I won't believe that until it actually happens, but it definitely has me a little bit worried that maybe he's not going to be as reliable as he was in the past with, with these types of things. Do you think that at all?
1: I'm at the stage where I'm preparing to think about that, but I'm not all the way there yet just because we don't have the yeah. history. But yeah, I mean, it's, well, LeBron, I mean, so he's five months older than I am. And so we were the same class in high school, not obviously the same school. And, you know, like I know for myself, like every once in a while, like <laughs> your knee starts hurting. And it's like, ah, oh, God, yeah. that's going to be a couple days. And I think back a lot to something that Kobe said during his last year, he talked about how it wasn't as much about not having that, the burst or anything like that. He was talking about how it takes so much, more work to get to the level that you expect and it's possible that i mean we we've heard about lebron's legend legendary body system and all the all the work that he puts in right that it's going to take even more that he he can't get there every day and and now maybe he he's going to reach the point where you know that was a big thing for him for whatever reason last year to play in all 82 games and I, I yeah. think that maybe he's going to – maybe this is what it took for him to get to the point where like the Warriors types of guys are – and he's older than they are, but the the stance of like my identity and all of that isn't as important as making sure that I'm right for April 15th. But the other challenge that LeBron has to deal with, which, which, which they do <laughs> not, is yeah. he can't be totally sure that if that yep. is his priority that he's going to get to play on April 15th <laughs> or be in a circumstance where – you can go you can use that as a springboard now, if they sign a star or and trade for one or whatever in the offseason, then maybe this is a one year blip but i'm the other thing that i'm starting to come more more accustomed to or starting to entertain more is the possibility that either that lebron's team doesn't make the playoffs or more likely to be that they make it, but they 're in a deeply unfavorable situation that yeah. it's harder to make it out of so like let's say they're the seven seed or the sixth seed or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, you can, you're can. making it into the playoffs, congratulations, but if you want to even make the conference finals, you're going through at least two two series where you're not in home court, and you're going to be facing really good teams.
0: Out West, I mean, realistically, they could end up matching up with, like, uh, Oklahoma City, then Houston, then Golden State, which would just be – even if you they can win – any of those series, or all of them, having to go through all three of those is just so tough for any team. So,
1: well, and they're probably uh, going to be long series
0: too. And lo- exactly, drawn out series. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, you never want to bet against the Lakers or against LeBron James. But it's just if I was drawing up at the coming into the season, like what would get you to kind of falter your confidence in that maybe the run is starting to come to a close? I would say this type of injury, you know, not a rolled ankle or, or something like that, but a muscle tear or, or whatever that that would be the thing that would concern me and then and then the other question is you know let's say he comes back which i think you know obviously that's on the the near horizon it sounds like but what if he gets hurt again and, and the lakers miss out on the playoffs and he has two injuries in the same season what does their off season look like for recruitment are are players lining up to come to los angeles to join lebron when he just went through the most You know, injury riddled season of his career. These are questions. It's uncharted territory that I think we all have the same answer to. Oh, well, it's LeBron. It'll work out. Oh, it's the Lakers. It'll work out. But if it was any other team and any other player, we'd probably be saying, "Ooh, I don't know. Maybe it's coming to a close
1: everything seems certain and inevitable before until it, until it isn't, you know, like that's just the way, that's the way this works out. And I hope that's not the case. I mean, LeBron is a definitive part of what made me fall in love with basketball. I'm Covering him for almost for a large portion of his career has been a genuine thrill, but we have to entertain that. And you you brought up the idea of recruitment. Remember, there was some reporting that there were guys that weren't particularly interested in playing with LeBron, even when he was healthy, just because (laughs) playing with LeBron James is something very specific. And, if you go, oh, he's still going to get the credit, but I have to do a lot more work and all these other things, maybe there are players who are less interested in that.
0: No doubt about it. And, and I don't know. that To me, that will shape the NBA probably for, for the next year or two, and, and um, that's why I think it's such a big story and worth talking about. But um, I do like overall, I do like where the NBA is right now. I think it's so talented. There's so many good teams. There's so many good players. And the Warriors run, which may or may not be coming to an end, I mean that's a whole other bag of worms, but it does feel a little bit like like um, a transition period where this is the last year of one sort of mini era, and, and that's what part of what makes it exciting is there's a lot of teams jockeying to sort of vault to the top of the next sort of iteration of the league.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, and something that I'm keeping an eye on is that a lot of these teams that are jockeying have a lot of uncertainty and flexibility moving forward. So who can make the most of this opportunity, and then who uses that to to vault even into an, in the, another level? I'm gonna be really interested to see where that goes to.
0: Are we approaching? The the Philadelphia 76ers era, the Celtics era, the Bucks era, another Warriors era, the Nuggets era. I mean, there's just a lot. After you get past this year, I think there's a lot, there's a case to be made for all of those teams and more. And, and that's part of what's kind of interesting even about this year is is just looking in the short term uh, and, and the roster building.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to see where this goes. And thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on, Danny. Thanks again to Adam Maris for taking the time to come on. He runs Denver Stiffs, which is a great website you can check out. He also is the host of Locked On Nuggets. Great podcast. I've been on it a few times and so substantive. I, I, I'm really impressed with the work that he does. And I can appreciate the the challenge of doing a locked on podcast as somebody who did it for a full season. And you should also follow him on Twitter at Adam Otis. That's A-D-A-M underscore M-A-R-E-S. Love having him on. And Denver's situation is just so interesting because they have all these young guys and a unique collection of players and we'll see where it moves in the future we recorded this before their eventful loss to the Utah Jazz on Wednesday night and I don't think there are going to be any long ramifications from that it's a good thing that in case there are any suspensions that Denver plays Phoenix in their next game I mean anyone can lose to anyone but it's not as devastating as if they didn't have another game until Philly who I believe they play on Saturday so really loved having Adam on and the perspective at the end I mean I've thought about LeBron and, you know, the kind of the idea of an endgame here for a little bit now, but it is probably something that I should be thinking about a little bit more, though I don't want to. And I think that's a big part of the reason why I'm not. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to go with the show next week. Of course, the trade deadline is coming up pretty soon. I might do something related to that. I might not. If you want plenty of trade deadline talk, Dunked On is a great place for that because Nate and I are doing not only division by division previews, which of course means team by team stuff, but we are going to to do the mock trade deadline that will be coming out early next week. So that might be enough. I might not want to do anything on that. We'll see where the next week takes us in terms of stories and everything like that. And as always, if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, at gmail.com is the way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I try to respond, but I I sometimes I respond really late. I read everything as it pops in, but then I want to be thoughtful. And if, if if you do that, then I don't want to just be like, thanks, because I don't know, that feels a little bit hollow to me, but I always read it because it's very important. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of great ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. Those are particularly great with a show that comes out at different points during the week. So you you can't just know. I mean, you can check out my Twitter feed, but it's better to subscribe and download every episode. And also... Leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player of your choosing—it's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it's not, I I appreciate it all the same. But if you want to be super awesome in those circumstances, you can also leave a review in Apple Podcasts. They are still a huge part of our business, and so that's a great way to support it. And really, what that is in word of mouth is about trying to make new people find the show. I try to make a show that stands the test of time a little bit better. That's always been a part of the idea of Real Jam Radio, going back to when I started it years ago. But that means that are still you still are getting people who are finding the show and everything like that. So, however people find the show, if you can contribute to that process, really do appreciate it. And of course, the single most important thing for this and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. BetOnline.ag has that awesome big game promo code going on right now for the big game and you can check it out there. And then of course, True Car, great place to buy a new and used car. And right now you can also, the offer in terms of selling or trading in your cars is fantastic as well. So you can check that out. As I said, don't know exactly what's coming over the next week. You can also check out my written work, which is primarily at The Athletic. Done some kind of trade deadline e stuff recently. Also put out a new pick protection outline, which uses the invaluable real GM draft picks database. I mean, their detailed database is truly incredible. And I, it's something I have bookmarked on my computer. And granted, I am more into pick protection than almost anybody, but it is worth having as a resource, whether you're a fan of a specific team or the league in general, you want to kind of see what restrictions teams have on them. That's a really good resource to have. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.